Okay, well, it's my, like to come up, Tim, it's my pleasure to introduce to you um, the Reverend Canon Dr. Sir Tim Watson. <laughs> and um, we, we talked about whether we were going to share his bio, but it might be quite long. Is that rude? So anyway, uh, Tim is a, is a family friend. He has served as rector of Cheltenham. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Um, and he is a canon. He told me not to mention the canon part because it's kind of an honorary position. But I thought it was relevant because it was bestowed by the church in northern Uganda. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So I thought that was worth mentioning. So anyway, it's our pleasure to have you with us. We're very much looking forward to what you have to say. Can I pray for you? And then... Lord, Wonderful. Yours, Thank you. And you'll find this is the most encouraging congregation that you've ever preached to in your entire life, just saying. Okay, Father, we thank you for this man of God, and we just pray right now that you'd fill his soul with joy and with truth and with life and with hope. Holy Spirit, would you anoint his tongue, would you fill his heart, and would you overflow out of him to us the message of the gospel. Lord, our hearts are soft, our ears are open. We're receptive and ready, Lord, for whatever it is you want to say to us today. And use this man, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, everybody, for your kind welcome. It's good to be here with you. How many people are wearing a tie? None, I see. Uh, it's really... Oh, you've got... Ah, that's all, gentlemen. It's really two things. One is it's to hold a microphone. And the other thing is it's, it's I only ever wear this from Christmas, Easter Day. Uh, it's got little dancing clowns on it. Uh, I dance in the morning, I dance, you know, that song. Well, I didn't know I was going to be amongst Nottingham Forest and Aston Villa supporters. <laughs> Watford. Come on, Watford, where are you? <laughs> oh, well, my wife, of course. The Golden Boys, the Hornets. And uh, also, uh, just to tell you that my, uh, I'm a Church of England, but I'm primarily Christian, like all of us, and secondarily denominational. Uh, and I've worshipped in Baptist and Methodist, all sorts, uh, over the years. Uh, and my grandfather, a very, very long time ago, was the Baptist minister of a little village, or fairly small village, called Tottenham, on the north side of London, in the late 1800s. And the lads of the uh, local school uh, thought to themselves one day, why don't we organise ourselves into a football team? And they called themselves Tottenham Hotspur Football. Uh, sorry, I should tell you first, cricket team. And then the cricket team said, well, why don't we do football? So they organised a little team called Tottenham Hotspur Football. And I had two uncles who played for Spurs uh, when it was like playing for Bidford. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that big. Important enough, but not that big. Uh, actually, I thought to myself, um, I'd like to find out a bit more about this. So I, I got in touch with the club and I said, uh, have you got records? And they said, uh, you need our archivist. So I got onto this archivist chap they told me about, and he sent me a letter and he said, yep, your uh, uncle this and your uncle that did this and that and got it a goal and such and such and match and, and all the rest of it. 
But what he really wants to know was, did I have in the family, family records a, a, a team photo? Well, I was seeing dollar signs. <laughs> I, I was thinking that the boardroom at Spurs would have this first ever picture and I'd be given a season ticket for life. But no, it didn't. <laughs> they, they didn't take pictures like that in those days. Now to the Bible, the Bible, that's what we're here for. <laughs> now here's a well-known chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, of course, as you know, St. Paul didn't write it in chapters. He wrote one very long letter. But a big chunk of it is 58 verses, which we have made into uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which begins, Now, brothers, and I have to say in this modern day and generation, and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, what I, received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. <clears throat> but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believe. Is this working? That's working now. So I want us to be encouraged from this 1 Corinthians 15. It, it, it is Easter Day, of course, and we need to be encouraged on Easter Day. All of you who've gone without so much during Lent, some of you have gone without so much during Lent, chocolate, uh, but she's been given a box of chocolates this morning to make up. Uh, and, and, and for some people, Lent is a sort of bit, bit of a bit of a dreary time, but we've come through that, and we want to be encouraged. And I, I, the three words. This is quite familiar to some of you, I'm sure. Three little words from this chapter: if, but, therefore. You'll be able to remember those. If, but, therefore. Well, it's a great chapter, and it comes at the end, or nearly at the end of this long letter. Actually, after this great chapter uh, of uh, the resurrection, it's very interesting. The first verse of chapter 16 is now about the collection. Did you know that? <laughs> you go for the great height of talking about the resurrection, now about the money. But that's by the by. But this letter has been full of teaching and full of instruction. It's been tackling uh, a number of issues at the church in Corinth has been raised with the great apostle Paul. They want answers about things, how to live and how to work and, uh, uh, as church people. They wanted, that, and so there's stuff about church divisions. They were, some of them were going off in factions. About food 
being offered to idols. What about that? Warnings to learn from history, how to behave in public worship, how to celebrate the Lord's Supper appropriately, uh, questions about spiritual gifts and prophecy and tongues and all that. And then there's the great hymn of love of chapter 13. And now on to chapter 15. Now, he begins, now, brothers, I want to remind you about the gospel that I preached and that you received and on which you take your stand. By this gospel, you have been saved. So what is this gospel? Quite simply, verse 3, do you have Bibles or do you have phones and things? You have a look if you are, like as we go along. Quite simply, verse 3, Christ died for our sins. Very basic. He was buried. He came back to life. And Peter and James and the apostles and 500 or so at one time, they all saw him. <coughs> and he even appeared to me, says Paul. Even me, who was the persecutor of the church of God. I met him on the road. So it's a great start to the main theme of the chapter. This is what we preached, Christ died and rose, and this is what you believed. I preached all that good news, he said. Now tell me, there was a time when you heard the message, the good news of the gospel. You heard it. Someone shared it with you. Someone preached it. Someone explained it to you, and you believed. What a great day that was. Or what great day that will be if it hasn't happened yet for you. For every Christian believer, for every Christian who ever leave, uh, lived, this is the fundamental, never-changing, life-altering, good news message. Christ died and he rose. But is it true? Can it be trusted? Well, let's look at this great chapter a bit and with those three little words, if, but, and therefore. If. Paul goes into a lot of ifs, seven ifs to consider. If there's no resurrection of the dead, if there's no life after death, if you are telling people, if you're preaching about it, that Christ was raised from the death, dead, then that's futile, he says. It's useless. It's a complete waste of time. If the dead are not raised, secondly, there's no afterlife. Then Christ hasn't been raised either, if the dead are not raised. Next, if he's not been raised, your faith is strong language. It is futile. It is useless. And if he's not been raised, you're still in your sins. You're unforgiven. You're still in your sins, says Paul. And then if Christ has not been raised, then those who have died, all those people who died, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour, Lord and Friend, they are lost. That's the word he uses, lost. And if, he says, for this life only, we have hope in Christ, then we are to be hugely pitied. It's quite a passage of ifs and the consequences. 
And it throws up the fact that the resurrection of Christ is of, <coughs> excuse me, critical importance, vital importance. It was a relevant message for these Christians in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And of course, it's a relevant message for the church today and for us. This is the message that the church needs to preach and we need to hear. But think about it. If there's no resurrection, big if, if no resurrection, then for 2,000 years, we've wasted time, we've wasted money, life, effort, evangelism, church life, church service, and so we could go on and on. What a waste of 2,000 years if Christ has not been raised. If there's no resurrection, no cathedrals, no St. Paul's. Or as Archbishop of Canterbury said two or three hours ago on the radio, and he was preaching in Canterbury Cathedral, he said there wouldn't be a cathedral. Of course there wouldn't. There wouldn't <coughs> all the parish churches and the village churches and the chapels and places like this. It's all been a waste of time, if no resurrection. Think of Michelangelo. He spent five years lying on his back painting that ceiling in the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican in Rome. What a waste of time. And think of all the worldwide mission that there's been. Alexander Mackay from Edinburgh, along with 30 other young men, went out to, you, to, to uh, East Africa in the late 1800s, about 1880, something like that. They went out wanting to share the good news of the gospel to begin a mission to found a church in Uganda. They all died before they were 40. Alexander Mackay was the last one to die. He got as far as the north end of Lake Victoria and he managed to evangelize the chief and uh, a number of people. And the church in Uganda was born. Actually, it's very interesting. If you go to Namirembe Cathedral in uh, Kampala, there's a gravestone where he's buried. And it's a very interesting gravestone because it's just like that with one word, Mackay. It makes you say, who's that? What's that about? It says nothing, but it says everything. It's about the man who gave his life along with all those young people to spread the gospel. But if there's no resurrection, what a waste of lives. And you could go on again and again. Tim Curtis will be preaching in Cheltenham later this month, has spent all his life as an Englishman in the Argentine Chaco, translating the Bible into various different tribal languages. He's given his life to it. What a waste of a life, if no resurrection. All the martyrs all down the centuries. When I was at Theolog Theological College, we had Janani Luwum. Anyone know that name? One or two. Janani Luwum. Well, if you go to Westminster Abbey 
Outside the front of Westminster Abbey, there's 12 modern martyrs. He's one of those, uh, the fi figure of him. He, he was at Theological College, same time as I was. Actually, he was already ordained. He came for further, further studies. He went back. He became a bishop and an archbishop. And he was personally murdered by Armin. He gave his life. If no resurrection, what's the point? And so we could go on. All the Christian endeavour of the centuries. Wesley, Whitfield, Moody, Billy Graham, etc., etc. Spurgeon, I better mention him in a Baptist situation. All wasted. If no resurrection. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Your worship, your service, your commitment, your giving, your daily devotion, your time. All wasted, if no resurrection. See all the ifs. And you are still in your sins. You're still unforgiven. Your hope of a life to come. Your hope of being reunited with your loved ones who've gone before trusting in Jesus. And actually, if there's no resurrection, you wouldn't have an Easter egg. And there wouldn't be two bank holidays. Well, it's true, isn't it? How many people in the world know that they've got two days off, Friday and Monday, because Christ died and rose again? Interesting, isn't it? And you wouldn't be somewhere else this morning, mowing the lawn, cleaning the car, having, watching the golf if Christ had not been raised, it would all be futile. Of course, it's not really discouraging because there's a but. And here comes the but. Where do we read that? In chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. But in fact. The Archbishop of York recently said this, the whole Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection and therefore everything about the Christian faith is viewed and understood through the lens of God raised Jesus to life on the third day. I remember as quite a young Christian being really encouraged because Professor Norman Anderson came to speak at the church where I was in Kent. And uh, he was a renowned historian, lawyer, linguist, just a general big brain. And he said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested fact in human history. And the Archbishop this morning says something like that. It's, it's amongst the greatest attested facts of history that Christ is alive because the tomb was empty. But it's very confident. It's the heart of the gospel that Christ died and rose again. It's always been from the very start, from the very birth of the church, from the very first preaching. It's there at the beginning of an alpha course that Christ was real, but that he rose. In Acts chapter 2, that wonderful first preaching of Pentecost, 
when the Apostle Peter stood up before that uh, enormous crowd of people, the cosmopolitan lot from all over the place, different countries, Jewish people gathered together for the, for the, for the Pentecost feast. And he preached this, he said, you people, you Jewish community, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And we read that they were cut to the heart. What was, must we do to be saved, they said. They realized that what they'd done for the Lord of glory and that he'd risen again. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hundreds and hundreds of them were converted that day. This Jesus you put to death, God raised. That is the gospel. And people, when they hear a clear message like that, are convinced, are convicted, and are converted. It happened that day at Pentecost. And that same message, that same good news, hasn't changed, of course, over 2,000 years. It's the message that we proclaim, especially at Easter. Christ has been raised. But there are consequences. Because the resurrection, first of all, underlines the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. <coughs> he claimed he would rise again. So he's unlike any other teacher that's ever been, that he would rise again. He claimed that the consequences are that sin can be forgiven. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for sins. We are the beneficiaries. We are not left in our sins. Thirdly, the church has a gospel, good news to proclaim. The Easter faith is based on the Easter event. Fourthly, the resurrection means that Jesus can be known today. Uh, I never let any of you know in, uh, an old hymn, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And it has a chorus that goes, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus. Oh, there's a lady nodding her head. Wonderful. He walks with me and he talks with me a long life's narrow way. He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? You sing it. He lives within my heart. And when I was a vicar in Bath, I used to be, we used to sing that as the last song on the Easter morning, church packed. And to hear everybody singing, you ask me how I know he lives. I might not be able to explain it in wonderful words, but I know this, he lives within my heart. And then fifthly, we have a future. As someone has said, the resurrection of Jesus has robbed the last enemy of its fangs. Verse 55 of this long chapter, the sting of death is sin, but God has given the victory. And so for the trusting believer, the fear of what lies, what lies beyond death's wall has gone. We might be fearful about death, but the power and the sting is gone because of that. See the difference that Christians 
uh, have and, and express when they lose their loved ones. There's a lovely verse in Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 14. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we Christians are looking for the city that is to come. That's our faith. That's our confidence. That's what takes the sting out of death. And so the chapter comes to a close with these words. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are on the victory side. Nottingham Forest may go down, as you said. They may stay up. Can't all stay up, you know. And Watford went down last season after all. And they're not likely to come up at the mid-table. But we're on the victory side, we Christians. And that changes us, our outlook, our attitude, our nature. He refines us and purifies us. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 1. He wrote that the power which raised Christ Jesus from the dead is available to set us free from the grip of sin and evil. He changes us. And then seventhly, the resurrection of Jesus is the pledge and model of our resurrection body on the last day. Let's have a look at verse 35. Someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, <clears throat> but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he has given a body. A new resurrection body. A new spiritual recognizable body. Of course, there are lots of questions. There are lots of things we ask. We don't find it easy to grasp what we will be like, but we are assured because of the resurrection of a future and a hope. Death is not the end. Handel used these words in that Messiah, that wonderful Messiah. Verse 21. Since by death came, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So friends, we're not going Nowhere. We're going somewhere. We're on a pilgrimage with the Lord. And it all ends in heaven with him. And with the saints who've gone before, who we've known and loved. And just think of the wonderful welcome you're going to receive as you get to heaven from those saints who've gone before who've helped you into faith. If but... But there's a therefore. This is how it ends. And it's a very vital word at the beginning of the last verse, verse 58. <laughs> therefore. It's a, it's a conjunctive verb. 
encompasses however. Moreover, consequently, thus, furthermore, verse 58, therefore, my dear Christian friends, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you, <clears throat> you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, there's been a great long 57 verses analyzing the resurrection and its consequences, the assurance that it happened and the consequences of it. And then we come to this, therefore. It's a challenging word to the Corinthian church and to you and me. Therefore, in view of the fact, in view of the consequences of the resurrection, therefore, what is to follow? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Because you, you've got solid grounds for your faith. You believe and trust in Christ crucified and risen. You've got good grounds for faith. Stand firm on that, on that solid ground. You've got the theology and you've got the challenge here. You know where you stand. Well, let nothing move you. It must be wonderful to have a faith that's unshakable. Few of us, maybe none of us, will be tested in the way some of the great heroes of the faith have been tested in the past. I think of Richard Wurmbrand. Anyone know that name? A few nodding. But you know the hymns and you know the... You've got some class saints here. <laughs> no, we're all saints. Uh, Richard Wurmbrand was a R Romanian pastor. In the times of the communist persecution under Ceausescu, uh, he faithfully preached the gospel and suffered for it. Torture, imprisonment. Fancy being in a dark cell with no light for over two years in a tiny cell. But it didn't shake his faith. And uh, he came and preached at the church where I was a curate. And uh, he preached at some length. He told his story. The church was packed. And after the service, uh, the vicar said, now we're, we're, we'll go home now, but anyone like to stay in here a bit more? Nobody moved. And I, as a sort of young assistant minister, my task was to get a glass of water and give it to Richard Wurmbrand. One of the most moving things I've ever had to do. What a privilege for this saintly man who'd suffered for 12, 14 years in prison, including all that solitary confinement, just to give him a glass of water. But his faith was unshaken. And what a wonderful example for the world, Richard Wurmbrand. So stand firm, says Paul, always give yourselves fully to God's work. The church needs, always has needed people who will give themselves 100% to their Christian work. Totally reliable, totally available, totally willing, fully committed. And I'm sure in this wonderful church, there are many, many people who do a very faithful job. Those looking after children, those who do the music, 
and all the other tasks that have to be done. And it's good to give ourselves wholeheartedly to that. Totally committed. Because, says Paul, do you know what? He says, your labour is not in vain. What you're doing is not a waste of time when you give yourself to Christian service in any particular way. It's not in vain as you love and serve your neighbour. When you do that bit of Christian work that God's called you to do, entrusted by the church, whatever it may be, you're involved, you're committed, you're faithful, it's not in vain. And whether you receive results now or whether you see them later, not even till heaven, be sure that being a Christian is worthwhile because Christ is alive. Believing is worthwhile. Serving is worthwhile. <coughs> so we hold firmly to our faith, don't we? Because we don't believe for nothing or in vain. J. John, the evangelist. Uh, do you know J. John? Yeah, of course you do. He wrote this. St. Paul declares that there is not simply life after death, but life, abundant life before it. Because Christ is risen, existence has purpose. So keep up your good work. Were that tomb full, our lives would be empty. But the tomb is empty so that our lives can be full. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Therefore, because Christ is alive, don't let anything move you. Don't be shifted from your stance. And always give yourselves fully to God's work because it's not in vain because of the resurrection. Shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us grounds for faith in a crucified and risen Saviour. He's in the world today. He can walk with me and talk with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And so as he lives in our lives, we offer again our lives in his service, knowing that it is not futile. It is not in vain. Amen. <laughs>